Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi guys, this is Chrissy Wahebe with the Jose Wahebe Spanish Fly Memorial Foundation, and you're listening to Impact Outdoors. My dad did it all. He really, really did when it came to fishing. It wasn't just flats fishing, it wasn't just fly fishing, it wasn't, you know, just bill fishing. He, he even in his, um, when he was chartering as a captain, he was one of the few guides that did it all and that was good at it too. You know, he was just as good as a flats fisherman as he was an offshore captain. And um, he spent a lot of time underwater, which I think was one big thing that set him apart. There's not many fishermen that you see these days that get wet and uh, he was very passionate about uh, the underwater photography side of the show he did all that stuff himself but he literally would jump off the boat get in the water with his camera have the boat drive away and then just sit there on the on the bottom and just watch the fish in their natural environment how they how they ate when you know there's not a bait presented to him and then he'd take that information and what he observed and then apply it when he was on the boat and above the water. You know, our mission is to, is to honor his legacy by uh, matching his passion for conservation, education, and making fishing dreams come true. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Impact Outdoors Podcast. And, uh, you know, just thinking back to when I was younger and, and you know, you, you have people that you never meet um, that just make a huge impact in your life. And um, Jose Wahebe was one of those. Um, and just uh, seeing his fishing show on TV really sparked my imagination and, and wanting to get more involved in, in saltwater and the outdoors and at a time when I was really looking to decide what I was wanting to do with my life. And, and uh, recently we was at ICAST here a few weeks back and I got the chance to sit down with Chrissy, Jose's daughter, 
and record the show for this week. And um, we had a great time talking about stories from her from her childhood and growing up with her dad and and about all about the show and everything. And then uh, his untimely passing in 2012 and and what came out of that with the Jose Wahebe Spanish Fly Memorial Foundation and, and what all that she has. Uh, hoped and, and, and accomplished with that and what they're doing today and stuff and um, just doing a lot of great things kind of preserving his memory and 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 uh, really doing things that he would still be doing today if he were alive so I'm glad to have Chrissy on the show and excited for you guys to listen to this episode so let's jump right into this week's show with Chrissy Wahebe. all right well I am so excited to have you on the show. We are we are here at ICAST, and I have Chrissy Wahebe with me today here at the show. And uh, um, was trying to get with you last year, and just never got connected um, completely on getting this set up. And we ran into each other yesterday at the Waypoint breakfast. Yep. <laughs> Walking out, getting on the elevator, and uh, I was like, "Let's see if we can get together here at the show." So, welcome to Impact Outdoors. Thank you for and, having uh, me. How are you doing? Can't complain. Can't yeah. complain. It's a good show. It's good to see everybody, um, old faces and new, and connect with individuals that you know we couldn't do it last year. So yeah. I'm I'm happy that we ran into each other and yeah, able and to get here. Last year it was like it seemed like it was about half this size, just because I think so many countries were still shut down, mm-hmm. so people couldn't get into the U.S. or couldn't get out of their country still to get here due to COVID and and other stuff going on. And and this year it's like full capacity i think i don't i haven't seen any empty spaces at all on the show floor no it's a little a little bit less i I feel like but it doesn't have that that vibe where where you're like can i hug you yeah yeah, not hug you is it do we six feet apart are we good right um so it definitely has a has a more normal if there is such a thing (sighs) feel yeah i don't know if we'll ever go back to what we thought was normal before 2020 but yeah. uh it's funny because i remember um doing some shows in 2020 i went to the nwtf convention in nashville and then right when everything literally the week the world stopped we had the houston fishing show mm-hmm. and it was the last event that happened probably at all in the city of houston which is huge and uh, i remember they were like it's getting ready to get really bad and like the day the show was over like that monday the next day I mean, it was like... Shut down. Stay in your houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually have a fundraiser. It's our biggest fundraiser every year. We call it, It's called Fish for Jose. Mm-hmm. We ask individuals to go out and, you know, do something that Jose would do, whether it's learn something new, um, bring a kid fishing. Uh, you know, if you watch the show Spanish Fly, you mm-hmm. have an idea of, you know, um, what he was all about. And Warren Sapp was coming to our event. Yep. And Warren was freaking out over this virus, and he wasn't—he didn't know if he was going to be able to come. And <coughs> like that'll never happen here. Like we're fine. And like you said, like the next week, yeah. it's like stay in your house, yeah. don't was, leave. It was such a weird feeling because um, I mean nobody ever experienced anything like that in here. I mean no. you've seen like you know on news and stuff before countries like china and stuff where they're wearing masks and stuff just because of illnesses and stuff and it's like man that'll never happen here mm-hmm. yeah. well it happened here yeah happened everywhere yeah and um it's, it's weird because you know we both have young kids and and uh you know my daughter had started kindergarten that year mm-hmm. and still this hopefully this school year will be her first normal year because she had the covid year and then the second year they went 
like virtual, the virtual thing, which mm-hmm. everybody was having trouble with. And then, um, and then the staffing shortages really affected their school this year, this mm-hmm. last school year. So I'm hoping she'll have a school teacher for the entire year yeah, and not a bunch of shuffling around. And I think that's probably been, bes- besides the health issues, that's probably been the biggest impact in my eyes is what it's done to the kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. what they've missed out on and stuff. Yeah. My boys are, um, my oldest is five. He's going into daycare, or I'm sorry, he's going into kindergarten mm-hmm. um, this year. And my youngest is two, but... Uh, I had uh, Ryder while we were still in quarantine at, at the hospital, you know, in and out, C-section in under 30 hours. Um, you know, only one person can come in. Yeah. You know, and when you have a baby, you expect, you know, everybody comes yep. and meets yeah. the baby and everything. And it was just, a, it was a very sad time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and then to be able to get in and out of the hospital so quickly and, and home. And um, yeah. for me... Uh, the shutdown and everything didn't really affect me much because I was home with a brand new baby Mm -hmm. and you don't really expect to leave your house for two months, which was about what it was uh, when I had him. But uh, I I was definitely one of the COVID crazy, like, you can't come here. You can't, like, no. Especially with a newborn. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I was the first one out of my entire friend group to get COVID. Yeah. Um, but my boys were in daycare because, you know, I'm a single mom. I have mm-hmm. to work. I have to make money. And the boys were in daycare. And sure enough, they brought it home to mom. And everyone was like, see, Chrissy? Like, they're, they're little Petri dishes over oh, there. Yeah. yeah. If, you ha- if you don't have kids, like, daycare, like, especially, like, the first uh, year or so they're there, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, you're going to get every virus in the books coming home. Yep. So, and then it just goes from one to the other and yeah. and stuff. And we, we just uh, had our little flare-up with uh, COVID with one of our kids. And he was the only one who got it, our son. And, and But, I mean, he was sick for like 10 hours, had a fever, and then that was it. So, at least the strain that's going around right now mm-hmm. is, doesn't seem to be as bad. It just spreads pretty quickly. Pretty so yeah. Um, but it's, it's and that's one thing we've seen at the show is a lot of people... Um, that were supposed to be here, yeah. you know, it, they, you know, they get COVID and mm-hmm. they can't, it's a perfect excuse if you don't want to go True, to a trade show. I guess, yeah. <laughs> save your, save your back and legs from walking around yeah. the show floor all day. Yeah. So yeah, it's really cool to see a lot of the new stuff that's coming out mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it seems like a lot of, a lot of families, uh, I know I see it in the keys that, uh, a lot of families are starting to get more involved with the outdoor stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was so much indoor stuff that you just couldn't do yeah. for a long time or people weren't comfortable with it. And yeah. Like, oh, fishing, you know, outdoors, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot going on with with um, with the foundation here the last few years, especially. And, and, and I know the the reintroduction of the Spanish Fly TV show coming back. And it's on, is it on Waypoint? It's or? on Waypoint. Yep. yep. Um, and then... Uh, it's on Obsession Media. Okay. Um, and we're going to have, we're working out a few different outlets uh, where where people can see the show again. Mm-hmm. Um, last year when I was at ICAST, um, there was a, a group of guys and they were all bass fishermen and, oh, we have our own YouTube channel and blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, have, have you ever seen the show Spanish Fly? No. Who's that? 
and I was like, oh God, this sh- it, it needs to come back. Yeah. It needs, and it's a classic yep, too. Absolutely. Um, and uh, in some ways people have said, well, you know, Chrissy, the show's not really going to be relevant that much anymore because the tackle and, you know, all this stuff <coughs> is dated and blah, blah, blah. But if you really watch the show, yeah. you know, it's true classics don't die. It, exactly. You know, there's some shows that you can, you know, that you can watch forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, obviously, I'm a little biased. But it's okay. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> I, I do think that, uh, I think a lot of people would agree with me on that, that, you know, the, um, my dad did it all. He really, really did when it came to fishing. It mm-hmm. wasn't just flats fishing. It wasn't just fly fishing. It wasn't you know just bill fishing he he even in his um when he was chartering as a captain he was one of the few guides that did it all and that was good at it too mm-hmm. you know he was just as good as a flats fisherman as he was an offshore captain and um he spent a lot of time underwater which yeah. i think was one big thing that set him apart there's not many fishermen that you see these days that get wet and uh he was very passionate about uh, the underwater photography side of the show. He did all that stuff himself, mm-hmm. but he literally would jump off the boat, get in the water with his camera, have the boat drive away, and then just sit there on the on the bottom and just watch the fish in their natural yeah. environment. How they how they ate when you know there's not a bait presented to him, and then he'd take that information and what he observed and then apply it when he was mm-hmm. on the boat and above the water. And um, I think a lot of that tra- um, came uh, just understanding fish behavior. Uh, he, was also, he was also a dolphin trainer for a number of years too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with him having that training background uh, really brought a lot to the table is, as far as like the behavior aspect. Is, is this kind of fish more skittish than the other kinds? Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's very, very cool to watch. Very cool to grow up with. I can't imagine what your childhood was like. You know, you know, seeing the stuff he's doing and and, and getting to go on the boats with him. But you know, when I was when I was growing up, it's like the Spanish Fly debuted what ninety in like mid nineties. Ni- I think it was ninety five or ninety six. Okay, so you know, at that time I was in in high school mm-hmm. and I was really figuring out what I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, you know? And so fishing had always been a part of my life. I mean, earliest memories fishing for me growing up in Oklahoma and stuff and, and um, seeing shows with, with your dad and, you know, hearing his voice on TV and watching what he was doing and, and seeing Flip Pallet and Walker's K Chronicles and, and just, you know, all the, all the, all the greats, you know, at that time. I and mean, I was like, all these great people were doing all this great content and, and stuff. We didn't have the internet. So, I mean, there was mm-hmm. no, no YouTube, no nothing. Like, that's what you watched. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that wake really... wake up in the morning yeah. to watch it because you couldn't DVR that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. had to be there and watch it. And, um, you know, that, that time really shaped kind of where I was going, especially down the conservation route and knew and knowing that's kind of where I wanted to go in my career. And, and um, thanks to people like your dad. I mean, that, that, that's helped me. It's helped, who knows how many, probably millions of people, yeah. you know, uh, appreciate the outdoors and really understand some things about conservation and giving back and, and stuff like that. So, 
Um, but thank you for that. I mean, I know you, you know, just what you're doing, continuing his legacy and, and with this foundation. I want to get into that, but um, I know I've, I've listened to some other interviews you've done and 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 stuff, and I know. You're, you're talking about your dad being a dolphin trainer. Now, isn't that where your parents met? Yeah. They, they met at Miami Seaquarium. And uh, back then, um, it wasn't... I, it, Miami is a very different place now than it was back in the 70s. And, you know, the little brown boy, um, you know, you he was... Uh, he started off as a diver, like, cleaning the tanks. Mm-hmm. And um, also collecting tropical fish. And he uh, actually, one of the department heads of the training department at Seaquarium saw that my dad had trained uh, Goliath groupers and moray eels how to <laughs> swim in a circle around him by giving them a, um, a, a hand signal, you mm-hmm. know, moving, putting his hand in a fist and moving it in a circle. And the grouper would swim around him in a circle, you know, a karate chop signal, giving it to the moray eel, and the moray eel would swim in between his legs, and you know the um, department head walked by and said, "How does this little brown boy know how to do this kind of stuff?" And eventually, um, he moved up. Uh, he did some stuff with sea otters, uh, sea lions, and then really found his spot with um, the dolphins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, training um, sea li- sea lions is more of a kind of like how you train your dog versus um working with the dolphins it's more of a mutual respect aspect Mm -hmm. um i i think dolphins are in a lot of ways smarter than people i mean shoot if you had echolocation yeah how cool would that be and um and and just the mutual respect aspect of it uh, I think was a big part that also poured into his personality um, and y- you know the broader picture of of the ocean mm-hmm. um, you know when when you show when you know when those dolphins show up it's like guys we're not catching any more fish yeah. <laughs> you know they're they're dialed in and they literally like I've had dolphins take um, I, I remember one spi- time specifically with a two I had a black fin on and this dolphin came up and literally grabbed grabbed him by the gills and sucked out everything where it was just like his skull left that dolphin knew where that hook was and you know their echolocation they can see exactly where it was took the perfect bite sucked it right out and we're like all right, this dude knows what he's doing. We uh, let's move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we were over here fishing in Tampa a couple of years ago with my buddy Chris Camps, and um, the dolphins would come. and I didn't notice at first because we were fishing one direction. They came in from behind the two of them, and they laid down right underneath. The, I'd never seen this. They laid right underneath the boat on the mud or the sand, and were just sitting there. And we catch a snook or something. We threw threw one back, and I mean. You know, 100 miles an hour, they're out there and they got that fish. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up having to, you know, start putting the snook like back up in the mangroves mm-hmm. just so they c- wouldn't get eaten. Mm-hmm. And it had to leave because the dolphins wouldn't leave us alone. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that right there just shows you, you know, what you're talking about and stuff. And, and uh, they're always messing with us when we're out at work, when I'm driving the shrimp boat for work or something and coming up and trying to pull the ropes to undo the net on the trawls and all that. And it's like, you have to tie a certain knot so they won't dump the the thing and mm-hmm. people are like what no way I'm like yeah. 
You yep. watch them. They'll follow it right up to the boat sitting there trying to yank on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're brilliant. So, yeah. it's crazy. But, that's, yeah, that's a cool story. I don't think a lot of people probably knew your dad did that. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then my mom was a dolphin trainer for 18 years. So, growing up in the Keys, I had a, a fisherman for a father and a dolphin trainer for a mother. Yeah. And uh, it's... You know, I, I've, I just had a very unique childhood. There's not many people who can say that, you know, they've uh, bottle-fed a baby manatee or mm. sat on the back of a 45-foot fin whale um, or, you know, it, it pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. Pretty. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, tell your kids about this. Yeah. You know, and, and I still go to Dolphin Research Center all the time and um, get to go, you know, s- some of those dolphins I've known my, all my life. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's funny, like, um, you know, Marita, Marina, Alita, and Santini are all, um, my age, Jennifer's age, and KJ's age, or like three girls that I grew up with, their parents all worked at Dolphin Research Center too, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and now we're all moms, and Marina, Alita, and Santini are all moms, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I named, um, my oldest, his name is, uh, AJ for Anthony Jose, but I also wanted to name my one of my kids after a dolphin. And there's um, there was a dolphin at Dolphin Research Center. Um, he was named after his parents, Aphrodite and Joe. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, my middle cool. names after a dolphin too, Renee. And um, but my mom said when I was like, Mom, I want to I want to name uh, uh, one of my boys after a dolphin. She goes, Chrissy. When I, I, the thing I loved about Renee, the dolphin, was she would do what she wanted when she wanted. And this was back when training was very, um, you know, I'm the boss, you listen to me. Uh, And then that kind of evolved to like, uh, they don't, they're much bigger than us and they're going to do what they want. And um, so it's, it's evolved into a mutual respect Mm -hmm. relationship. And she's like, just make sure you pick a, a, a mild-mannered, you know, polite dolphin that you're going to name him after because Renee was <laughs> just like you were in high school. <laughs> she's like, maybe I should have picked Melissa's name instead because she was much more mild-mannered versus Renee had a little bit of an edge towards her, which I was, bless my mother's heart and my dad too because I was, I could be... <laughs> A handful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> Isn't every kid in South Florida probably a handful growing I up actually, down there? I actually went, um, my mother and I uh, moved up to Maine for five years really? in high school, which um, which a, a funny story about my dad and the show. Um, you know, my dad got the show in 95, 96, everybody in the Florida Keys community, oh, congratulations, Jose, blah, 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 mm-hmm. no big deal. I moved to Maine. Third period, like four or five guys started running up to me. Chrissy Wahobi, Bajobi, Chrissy Wahobi. Oh my God, oh my God, your dad's the Spanish fly. And I was like, people actually watch that show? <laughs> Whoa, okay, this is weird. It's not just back home. No, no. So that was like my first like aha moment on like, like mm-hmm. okay, my, my dad actually. Making he, an impact. He is good. Yeah. And I never knew what a good fisherman he was until he started fishing with other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> too. Yeah. And he wasn't a fishing snob. You know, he 
he appreciated a, a barracuda as much as he appreciated a wahoo. Um, you know, he just wanted to fish. Yeah. And you can tell that just by watching one episode of the show. Yeah. I mean, it was real easy to see that that fact. So, yeah. um, I was talking right before we came up here. Uh, ran into some friends from back in Houston, and and uh, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm getting ready to interview Chrissy," and she's like. Um, just loved Jose so much. She, you know, she she worked with him a lot and had him do some appearances and stuff. And and uh, it was just cool, you know, just seeing the the different, I guess, levels of respect from all different avenues of the industry. That you hear people talking about your dad and stuff, and and uh, you don't hear that about all, everybody. No, for sure, not at all. There's a lot of people like they're you know, and I'm not dogging on anybody, but you know, a lot of people crave attention in some facets i guess and and stuff and some people are just naturally gifted this ability to be able to be who they are and deliver this message you know so easily to people that you know they just are drawn to them yeah and it was genuine too yeah. you know he wasn't he you know obviously it, it, it was his job but he was genuinely interested in in other people and how mm-hmm. they fish and you know, when people would approach him and, you know, talk to him, it's, you know, they obviously know yeah. more about him. And my dad would engage and say, well, well, tell me about, like, where do you fish? Like, how do mm-hmm. you do that? And um, he never stopped learning. He never thought that he knew it all. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was always very inquisitive. Um, and, and I think that was another thing that really drew people to him. Um, he was genuinely interested and, uh, you know, just wanted to talk and, and, you know, um, I, I think when you start thinking like, oh, well he, you know, he's only been fishing for five years, you know, I, I know more than he does. Maybe he, maybe he rigs up his tackle a different way or maybe like he, and he always took all that information in. Mm -hmm. Those are the best fishermen. I mean, they're constantly adapting and, and, and all that and and stuff. But um, I'm very glad that people are going to be able to watch the show mm-hmm. now. And so glad that Waypoint and, and the other platforms have got that out. And that you guys have been working on that. But um, so we lost your dad in 2012, mm-hmm. correct? And then you immediately, I mean, the foundation kind of kicked off right after that. So yeah. tell us... Tell us a little bit about that that process and, and y'all's mission and, and kind of where y'all are, how that's transpired from then to today, you know, where y'all are at and how y'all are. Yeah, so, um, you know, he died April 6th of 2012, and literally within three weeks we had formed a board, um, put together our mission statement, and, you know, applied for our 501c3, mm-hmm. the IRS, Um we started, um, you know, our mission is to is to honor his legacy by uh, matching his passion for conservation, education, and making fishing dreams come true. Mm-hmm. So what that means is we wanted to start a very obvious, um, we want to make sure our first project was very obvious the way it was tied to Jose and make a wish. Mm-hmm. So uh, we contacted Make-A-Wish, and we did our first trip with Tyler in November. 
and uh, we did their 9,000th wish. Um, we've done over we, like 12 to 14 wishes with uh, through Make-A-Wish. And then we kind of stepped back and said, we'll always, at any point in time, if Make-A-Wish ever called us, we'd, we'd absolutely do it. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't think they do as much hunting and fishing as they used to. So we started, uh, we also worked with another organization um, called the Outdoor Dream Foundation, which is mm-hmm. like Make-A-Wish, but mirrored specifically for hunting and fishing. Um, we've worked with them, and we started our own application process, which is mirrored directly off of Make-A-Wish, where kind of we do our due diligence, you know, screening, making sure this person is, in fact, who they say they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've brought uh, over 380 people out on the water, anything from working with the recreational department of the VA hospital um, to the foster care uh, program in the Keys. Uh, foster care is privatized in the state of Florida, and the organization that um, does it in Monroe County is called Wesley House. Okay. Um, we still continue to work with them, and um, after when Hurricane Irma hit, um, there was nowhere for anybody to. St- I mean, we lost over 500 homes just in the Lower Keys itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was out of, uh, my husband, my six month old and myself were out of the house for six months. Um, we had to completely gut everything. Mm. And, uh, so it was like, well, how do we continue to stay relevant, um, and active in a time where, you know, guides don't even have a house to stay themselves, let alone bringing a family down. So it's kind of one of those like, okay, well, you know, what would my dad do right now? What would Jose do? And... Um, for his birthdays every year, it was whoever needed help the most at that point in time is mm-hmm. what he'd ask, you know, I want you to donate to this foundation or donate to this foundation, whether it was, you know, Haiti right after the earthquake or mm-hmm. um, Captain Joe's, you know, whole boat sunk and some people got to, got some money together to, you know, try right. and get him another motor. Uh, so... In the Keys, it was apparent that um, people needed help cleaning up. You know, not everybody can lift all this, you yeah. know, all the debris that was everywhere. And, you know, we needed tools to be able to cut the roofs and portions and get them out of the sanctuary areas. Because you look over and you see these, you know, little fledglings uh, with their nest is built out of fiberglass from, mm-hmm. you know, being pulled out of all the all the walls that, you know people's homes just exploded from a from a tornado or whatnot so um we removed over 300,000 pounds of debris Mm. from the lower keys um uh and we continued to do that for probably about two years because i mean there's still stuff everywhere yeah um and then um situations like for example like covid you know, we couldn't bring people. I mean, nobody was allowed to yeah. do anything. Yeah. So where's the need there? Well, a lot of it was like with our service industry individuals. And there's um, a nonprofit called Sister Seasons Fund in Key West. So um, we assisted them. Um, and then like after Ida, Louisiana, and just, you know, Grand Isle just being like completely wiped yeah. out and everything. Well, um, we got together with Costa, AFCO, and IGFA and donated to the uh, Louisiana um, Charter Boat Association Mm -hmm. um, and that helped provide funds for individuals that you know 
lost their entire boat, yeah. well, maybe this is this is a little bit of help to try and get you back on track and get you start start working again. So it's always, um, you know, our mission statement is a little broad in the sense of education, conservation, and fishing dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But it's always important that we just keep in mind, you know, we're here because of Jose. And what would he want us to be doing right now? And he would say, there's your need right there. That's the person that needs help or that's the organization that needs Mm -hmm. your help right now. Um, So keeping that uh, conservation aspect in there with, you know, the debris removals out of the sanctuaries and, um, you know, uh, helping our fellow guides, the people that support us. Uh, was was something that was really important and that we continue to do. Um, yeah, and I think especially like dealing with the hurricanes and stuff like that, you know, um, we've dealt with several over in Texas and mm-hmm. our friends in Louisiana and then over here. I mean, I had, a, I had a buddy. I mean, he was, you know, he lost his house in Texas. Mm-hmm. And then when Irma, I guess, hit down here, I mean, he lost his house down near Marco Island. I mm-hmm. mean, just lost everything in span of a few months. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, so how do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, and um, there wasn't a whole lot going around. And I remember seeing stuff, you know, when, when y'all were were doing that. And, and, and there was several, you know, the groups that you mentioned, Costa and stuff, were kind of getting together, helping, like, the guides and, and the local communities and stuff kind of help rebound in any way they could Mm -hmm. from those situations but man if you've never been involved somehow and seen the devastation these storms can do it's just part of life i mean you know you're going to get hit somewhere eventually Mm -hmm. living on the coast so it's just the thing i mean i grew up in oklahoma as tornadoes yeah you know it's like i'd rather have a hurricane one day yeah you know and the one thing i always say is like so you say okay so why would you rather have a hurricane let me ask this question Okay. You can compare. You can take, you know, those irreplaceable items, those pictures, That's you know. A good point. Um, you know, things that are near and dear to your heart that you will never, that are irreplaceable. I, I have two Tupperware bins just full of, like, um, you know, whether it's something my dad gave me to, like, my pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like a hurricane go box where it's like all right just pull this out load it in the truck um you can you can prepare you can put shutters up you can have impact windows you can have a metal roof versus a tornado it's like uh run (laughs) yeah you don't get much time with the tornadoes um and uh i guess yeah i mean that's a really good good way to look at i've always been like man the problem with 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 us that we've had with hurricanes is like you're sitting there and you're waiting for like a week like mm-hmm. is it going to hit our house like mental stress mm-hmm. level with that and uh, it affected so many people and uh, when we had harvey over there in 2017 mm-hmm. you know where we were at south of houston we got the flooding you know like it hit south mid coast rockport area and stuff and, and they got destroyed by the winds and then they were like, well, we might get 20, 30 inches of rain. You know, we can handle that. 
you know, we woke up the next morning, and by the end of the day, we had had like 60, almost 60 inches of rain Jeez. in like 30 hours or something like that. Like everything was flooded. Like my house, and for, you know, luckily did not flood, and so we became kind of like a refugee camp, you know, because we were like mm-hmm. one of the only like 80 something percent of our town was was underwater, and um, so we were fortunate to be able to help provide some respite for people i guess for a few days and stuff right. but nobody was prepared for for that so i mean how do you deal with that yeah you know? i mean nobody even bothered putting stuff up until it was too late yeah and um i mean i had to go through and help friends throw all their belongings away like everything yeah that just got ruined it was, it was yeah well you know our, our vice president of the foundation Dee, who's here with me um uh, she lost all of those like irreplaceable personal items that mm-hmm. I was just talking you know that, that you can't replace um, even like you know living in Florida you need like you know living in the Keys especially you need like three sweatshirts maybe <laughs> and like all of her winter clothes or you know she'd have them in a bin and stuff and mm-hmm. pull them out like you ever got cold and like all that stuff is gone our, um, our uh, fundraising chair um, Debbie, she lost everything when she was living in New Orleans with Katrina, and then she moved up to Jersey, lost everything in Superstorm Sandy, mm. and then lost whatever else she had left in uh, Irma. And you know she's she's in her sixties and she's kind of just like a nomad or, or um, kind of like a gypsy now. Yeah. You know she she. Um, has a bunch of really good friends in the Keys and just kind of, she has an extra room mm-hmm. um, and, you know, some great friends, but like, you know, yeah. she's not going to be able to afford to, to buy a house again. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so it's... Get hit everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah, but Debbie's like, don't worry, it comes in threes, so I should be fine now. <laughs> like, we were not, we're not going to get another crossed. one. <laughs> like, let's hope it comes in threes and not fours or tens or anything. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, um, I know right now, getting back to the foundation stuff, um, y'all have got an, an online auction going on as yes. one of your fundraisers and stuff. Yes. Like, how's how's that been? It's like, you know, what are y'all offering on that, and how can people help? Um, well, if you go to uh, org, um J-O-S-E-W-E-J-E-B-E, foundation.org. Uh, you can find it on our website. And also, if you just go to our Facebook or Instagram page, you can find it there. Um, so the, some of the items that we're offering, um, anywhere from uh, my dad's old clock that hung in the house for over 15 years, um, one of his hats, uh that was given to him by um, a friend, Ken Davis, who he did a few shows with. He was mm-hmm. he was formerly in the DEA, and it was a gift to my dad, and it was a cool <laughs> DEA hat. Some custom Spanish fly artwork, some custom Yeti um, ramblers. Yep. Um, we also have some really cool experiences. Um, there's a fishing trip with Stevie and Palomeni. It's probably, if I had to guess, probably one of the most featured guides that was ever on my dad's show. Um, a fishing trip with him, a fishing trip with Doug Kilpatrick, who's he's one of the best flats guides down there, um, with a two-night stay. Mm. And one of the really cool ones um, is uh, 
There's a gentleman down in the Keys, um, Dr. David Vaughn, and he actually pioneered um, the uh, coral growth process of defragmentation, which basically you um, think about when you fall and you hit your knee and um, your skin grows back faster to heal that mm -hmm. wound. Well, it's the same thing with coral. He found out if he broke off a piece of coral, it would grow back faster to heal itself. <laughs> so he's figured out a way to grow coral in the lab exponentially faster than it does in the, wi in the wild and has actually been able to kind of pick the corals that can withstand a higher salinity rate, the corals that can withstand uh, a higher water temperature rate. Um, because, you know, it's, it's happening, mm -hmm. um, in our waters. And then he goes, he grows a piece of brain coral that would normally take 15, 20 years in three years and is able to take that and go replant it back on the reef. Yep. Um, crazy. so there's a, there's an experience where you can go and sit with Dr. David Vaughn. He brings you into the lab, shows you the entire process. And then we go out on a dive trip where you can actually go and plant your own corals that you you know that you saw in the lab, mm -hmm. and That's go so for cool. a dive trip and plant your own corals on some of the Florida Keys reefs with mm. Dr. David Vaughn. That would be awesome. It's a, it would be amazing. Yeah. So. yeah, the closest coral reef you can dive on where I live is about eighty-five miles offshore. Wow. <laughs> the Flower Gardens Bank. Yeah. So. Um, it's not like down there. Yeah. So. We're so spoiled when it comes to like, oh, you can be offshore in 15 minutes. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. went out to Venice and we went 100 miles offshore mm -hmm. <laughs> to go fish for tuna. And I was yeah. like, this but is different, certain times of year, they can, I catch them really close over there. But yeah, yeah usually in the summer and stuff, you got to go out a little bit further. But yeah. Um, man, what was your... I mean, did you did y'all eat fish a lot growing up? Oh gosh! Like, yes. what was your favorite types of fish? Um, I would. I got so burnt out on mangrove snapper because, like, that was dinner every single night. Because you know, you, my mom didn't make a lot of money dolphin training, and my dad was just you know he was just starting his business yeah. growing up. Um, but uh, yeah, fish all the time. I would have to say my. And, and again, I'm so spoiled when it comes to, to seafood. Um, mutton's probably my favorite. Mm. However, the best kind of sushi um, that I've had, hands down, is African pompano. Really? It's like butter. I've caught one of those. And it, I did not make sushi out of it. So, it, so good. Um, my best kind, or my favorite kind of ceviche, though, would be with wahoo. Yes. So it just like it totally. If you were to ask me, like general picture, like what what's your favorite? It would probably be mutton, mm -hmm. but depends on how you planning on planning on preparing it too. Right, I right. wouldn't want mutton ceviche. I would prefer wahoo ceviche. Yeah, yeah, wahoo ceviche is the best I've ever made too. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, and I would. I always just use like the scraps that I don't quite get with the fillet knife off the back mm -hmm. and stuff and that's all ceviche meat so and one of the um a, something that makes it a little bit different and delicious um instead of all lime juice squeeze like one tangerine in there too really yeah i'll have to try yeah that. or a clementine or like you know a, even an orange but it mm -hmm. does give it like it's a little something different kind of mm. sets it apart i'll try that yeah so usually I'm stuck making like sheep's head ceviche or, or something which is really good in itself, um, but we don't get a, I don't get the chance to catch a ton of wahoo anymore. Yeah. But uh, anytime I do, yeah, I always make some. 
I will try that trick. Yeah, yeah. It's delicious. So the day I realized that you could buy pre-made pico de gallo in the store and Mm -hmm. not have to chop all that stuff up Mm -hmm. on the boat or wherever we were making it Mm -hmm. was like um, the biggest light bulb going off ever for me. I was (laughs) like, I just saved myself like two hours. Right. So... (laughs) Lots of tears, too. Yeah, yeah. Dicing up all those onions Yeah, and and no cuts on your fingers trying to do it while the boat's rocking around. So um, that's that's good. Um, Did you, uh, like, so how much fishing did you do with your dad growing up? Um, You know, you would think I did a lot. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. um, Because on his off days when um, he wasn't fishing, he was exploring. So, you know, because you always have to stay dialed in to, like, where are the fish at? Where are they eating? You know, what's the tide looking like? And, you know, we didn't have apps back then where we could say, like, oh, it's going to be this tide on this moon. And, you know, you always have to stay really on top of all that stuff. So we did a lot of exploring, um, just, you know, especially in the backcountry in the lower keys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, he would would spend a lot of time, again, underwater just tech checking out like different ledges different coral heads different structure um so i mean we definitely we definitely did fish um but not kind of like the everyday thing that you would think yeah Uh, it takes i mean there's sure traveling and just all all that takes to put on shows and sponsor stuff you know i I don't know um even back then i mean i'm sure he got the show when i was 12 um, but yeah, once the show came on, it was, a- and then he, he dove in to so many different aspects of just like the fishing, but he really got involved in like the, the videography, s- um, mm-hmm. uh, aspect of it too. And really started doing a lot of his editing. And, you know, if you, if you saw the show, you know, saltwater tackle box segments and the Viva Del Mar segments, um, he produced and videoed all on his own too. Yeah. Um, and I actually, uh, I went to school for film and video production and, um, I started working with him, uh, for about a year and a half, uh, before he died. And just the, the amount of stuff that you don't, uh, that you wouldn't know about unless you were there just putting together the different sponsorship packages and the different sponsorship fulfillments and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, my dad uh, provided an incredible amount of content um, for a lot of his different sponsors, um, which, you know, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And my dad definitely delivered. Uh, but I would help him with a lot of that stuff of just, you know, uh, and stuff on the back end that you just wouldn't see. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to kind of, you know, be a part of the whole process. Um and, you know, you watch a show on TV, and you're like, man, this looks, this looks so easy. It's like, I want a fishing show, and I've got several people, friends of mine, that have shows and some pretty big shows on, and, and you know, that's the only thing. He's like, there, I mean, there's so much time. I mean, just doing these podcasts, I mean, you know, we might record this for 30 minutes to an hour. You know, if there's a couple hours of production edit and stuff with the mm-hmm. videography, it's four times that amount of time and and yeah. just all the logistics going in it and they, people have no idea no it, it's it, it's a 22 minute tv show you yeah. know how many hours goes into to making that yeah and then you know he doing the interviews and stuff like that and just like 
mapping out what was what was he going to talk about like what was going to be the general theme of the show mm-hmm. um and you know you plan 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 like oh we're going to do a sword fishing show and uh just kidding <laughs> um you know it's because uh, the thing with fishing is like you can have a plan for the day like yes. we're going to go do this but it doesn't it's not called catching it's yeah. called fishing very so seldom does everything go according to plan yeah, on the water yeah yeah so. and you know with the weather and this and that so um just watching him put together like what this show was going to be be about given the content that they were able to you know get out on the water and um and and then he'd do the the interview segments and you know he'd do all that stuff i'd come home and like where you know i'd come to my dad's house and be like where where's my dad and you'd see him in the backyard just talking to the camera and Mm -hmm. um walk out there and shh okay sorry you know have to wait for the plane to go by or this and that right um but he he put in it's not like you just jump on the boat and click on the video camera um even like you have the camera boat uh, the last show that we did together, um, uh, we were anchored up on a wreck and just getting the camera boat and my dad's boat in the right position, you know, with the current, you know, with the wind and anchoring them up together mm-hmm. so that those cameras were shooting us. I mean, that that can take a decent amount of time in itself. Yeah. Too bad so. they didn't have spotlight troll motors oh my gosh. back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think your dad would think about all the advancements and everything that's available today? Cause it's pretty crazy in it's the last 10 years, just how, how revolutionary mm-hmm. the changes have been in the industry. Um, I I don't know. Um, I, I think he was, he, he was always one of the, f- you know, one of the first that was like dialed into what was next, what was up and coming. Um, I will tell you that uh, when he got his 39, um, Mercury wanted him to put quads on it. And my dad said, no, absolutely not. You put quads on your boat, you're making up for something else, and I'm not doing it. And I was like, that's gross, Dad. Your daughter didn't know how, have to know that. But um, So I, I think like on some aspects, like how overdone you can see some of these boats get. Yeah. It's like unnecessary, but some of the technology, um, like spot lock and whatnot, he would have been giddy over. Yeah. So. Talk about changing the game, just making things easier to accomplish. Because I mean, anchoring boats and stuff, and and I mean that's like the hardest thing is just getting the boats and the lighting all set up. Yeah, in the right spot. Yep. Um, But I think some of the stuff uh, where you know you can look at your GPS, have a camera put put the the mark right on the boat that's a mile away from you and it'll lock his spot in i think that would have driven him like yeah it drives uh, me crazy it would have driven him crazy like no you can't have my spot and there's you know there's there's not many just your spots yeah there's no secret spots anywhere anymore there's very little so you just got to know when to be there yep so yeah you just uh, understanding the tides and the moon and Mm -hmm. you know it's just uh, all that stuff is just so so crucial you know even um you know when it gets so hot like if you want to if you want to catch the mangroves like you need to go in the morning Mm. because by afternoon they're all at the bottom like 
you know, you don't want to eat when you're hot. Yeah. You don't get you don't get hungry. So like you know, apply that same idea to the fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that kind of stuff takes time. And he always said that you know fishing was fifty percent experience and fifty percent luck. So yeah. um, you know it's just. True. Setting yourself up, to setting yourself up for success to have those opportunities. Um, I should uh, one of these days I'll, I'll shoot you a picture. But my dad also wrote everything down, every single trip, who he was with, what time of year it was, mm-hmm. what the moon was doing, tide going in, tide going out, what they caught. Never fish again. (laughs) Great guy. You know, um, and he would look back at all that stuff too and say, okay, October 6th, this time, this year on this moon, like, what did I see last year? And was it Mm -hmm. good? Was it bad? What should I change? And, uh, you know, he was, he was very good about that stuff too, just tracking, like, right. Um, the accomplishments and what worked and what didn't and then applying it the next time yeah, too. That's so cool. That's what made him so good. Yeah. I mean, just things like that. So I'm too lazy. I can I've tried keeping log books and stuff and I just oh man, I, I get mad at myself because I I'll I'll do good for a few few trips or something, mm-hmm. you know, just on my phone or something like that and then no run into other stuff and just forget to do it. So Yeah. But that's that's crazy. But um well, this has been fun. I'm I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit, and thank you so much for being on the show. So, I'd like for you to just kind of let um, everybody know like how they can follow you on social media and stuff, and and about the foundation if they want to donate and stuff. And you gave the website, and and I'll add that as as well in the show notes and stuff, so people can click on it. But y'all on Facebook, Instagram, and all that. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm still trying to figure out like the reels and. You know, yeah, your story and applying all all that stuff. Um, you know, because it's a, um, you know, because the the foundation. I mean, we have like our fantastic volunteers and everything, but th- you know, it's it's a ninety percent of it is all on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, just trying to understand, uh, you know, the ever changing game of social media. But you can find us on Jose Wahebe Memorial Foundation on Facebook and Jose Wahebe Found. Um, on Instagram and um, uh, my email is is up on the website if anybody ever wants to reach out um, I love the aspect that, that we are such a grassroots organization yeah. that we're always looking for different opportunities and different ways um, for example um, skinny water culture mm-hmm. um, they have an annual Christmas party and this year um, they asked for donations for the annual Christmas party to our foundation. It was something that they do anyways. They raise over $6,000. Yeah. And just really, you know, here at ICAST, just trying to say, you know, we don't have to do a traditional event sponsorship um, or an annual sponsorship. There's different... Uh, we're totally open to different aspects and how we can, you know, what's good for both of our businesses mm-hmm. and what's what's good about getting the word out there and um you know trash cleanups or um hosting your own fundraiser i mean we're all we're always completely open to different ideas and if 
any of your listeners have, you know, have anything, like please feel free to reach out to me. Um, Absolutely. And uh, and we can talk. Yep. And I want to figure out how I can help, you know, with something with the fishing trip or something. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. uh, um, you know, we're over in Texas, but maybe we can do something to help out just a little bit to get back. Yeah. Absolutely, Derek. Chrissy, thank you so much again for taking the time out of the schedule. And ICAST is always busy, so it's kind of hectic, always trying to find time to jump on and do a show over here. But Mm -hmm. uh, glad we made it happen. Yeah. And uh, found a little corner in the convention. Yeah, I know. Kind of tucked up here away from everybody. So, uh, but yeah, thanks again. Thank you. We'll see you again. All All right. All right, well, a big thanks to Chrissy for joining us on the show this week. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about the work she's doing with the foundation, you can go to josewahebefoundation.org and find out all the information there, ways you can help and give back and donate if you'd like. And and to catch up on all the Spanish Fly episodes, um, you can go to waypointtv.com and and watch those for free there, streaming 24-7. So hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you on the next episode.